Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ski Rex Media Podcast. Yet again, another brand new episode with another brand new interview with someone who knows more about this sport and this business more than I do, which is what we like here because it's a learning experience. I, I tell people, I was actually telling people in New Hampshire at McIntyre, I've been skiing since I was 12. I'm 43 now. I worked at Mount Snow for five seasons. I know nothing about this industry and that's fine. But first, before we get to our guest and talk about a whole bunch of things here, Let's talk about Whaleback Mountain. I love Whaleback Mountain. Our guest has talked about Whaleback Mountain as well with Executive Director John Hunt, whom I enjoy. And we're going to get into that, too. Whaleback Mountain is up here not far from me in Enfield, New Hampshire, right off the interstate, I-89, exit 16. There is no more accessible mountain that I have ever found. It's got its own exit. How cool is that? And they've got everything. Small package, but everything you want. Steeps, trees, groomed, not groomed, good for the kids, good for you. They'll teach you how to do it. It's a wonderful place with a double chair because you can't beat an old double chair. That's just cool. And a T-bar which is where I finally got the hang of the T-bar. Whaleback Mountain, ski it to believe it. Seriously, check it out. It doesn't cost much. Their biggest ticket this year, 50 bucks. That's it for the day. Nothing else. Then we also talk about my second sponsor, my second partner. I will be riding a pair of Saint Skis, Saint Custom Skis and Snowboards out of Gorham, New Hampshire. You want something custom? How custom you want it? You just want it to look cool? You want it to be a certain size? You want it to be a certain width? Whatever you want, they'll make it for you. SaintSkis.com. Check out their gallery. You'll see all kinds of cool stuff. Some of them beautiful. Mine are going to be amazing. Kind of still a secret, but not really. I've been kind of letting people in on it, but they still look great. I've showed the designs, just not the size, and the size won't surprise anybody who knows me, but whatever. Saint Skis, Saint Custom Skis, and Snowboards, SaintSkis.com in Gorham, New Hampshire. Shout out to KJ and his dad, Kevin, who run that place. Going to meet them. I mean, KJ's already been on the program, but going to meet up with them probably when it's time to pick up the skis. It's going to be awesome. But anyway... Now that I've rambled on and kept this this man waiting here, Stuart Winchester, you know him, you love him. How you doing, man? Good. How you doing? Awesome list of sponsors there, Tim. It wasn't bad, and I'm getting better at the reads. I don't tongue-tie myself as much as I used to. You um, crushed but, it. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's okay. It's okay. A little, you know, try to... Because I do it with people waiting. Now I could. Now Stuart's smart. I was listen. I was re-listening to the John Hunt uh, episode of of the uh, Storm Skiing Journal and podcast today, and um, you know you had the read, and then clearly you recorded the interview after the read, and I was like, dang, that's that's really smart. And I've done that before, but then if I do it this way, it just saves me time later. So I'm lazy, and that's really what it comes down to. And that's the beauty part of having Stuart Winchester Storm Skiing journal and podcast that is correct i am saying that right that's I hope. right okay good you got it cool awesome now again we've talked about this with mario and brian we've talked about this with both out of bounds um adams we're not really in competition we're just different um and being able to listen to an interview with john hunt for example you know i've talked to him now stewart's talked to him. it's a whole different experience than when i actually conducting it how's it feel to be on this side of the microphone for a change I love it. Yeah, <clears throat> really appreciate the opportunity, Tim. Hey, man, any old time, man. So now I know anybody who's tuning into my program to listen to you already knows who you are. He's got a better, bigger following than I do. He's probably more professional than I am. I don't know about if the self-deprecating humor is working here when I say it's whatever. <laughs> the man is good, and we all enjoy it, all kidding aside. Dude, why don't, you, why don't you just give us a rundown of why you got into it, what it is, where it is. 
why you do it, all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. So the Storm Skiing Journal and Podcast launched in October 2019. I live in New York City, so anytime I'm going skiing, I have to drive far to do it. And I was looking for ski podcasts to listen to on those long drives that specifically talked about ski areas and what I've come to call lift served skiing. Sure. And what I found was most of them focused more on the free skiing side of skiing. And that's the folks doing tricks and backcountry stuff and, um, you know, really great skiers uh, doing really great, exciting things. But sometimes I just want to hear people talk about Sugarbush or Sunday River sure. or Waterville Valley. So sure. I got this idea for a podcast. My wife is a television editor for a living. Cool. So nice. I had a built-in editor because I could never figure out the tech side of it. And <laughs> then I, I also noticed that the ski media, like the written media, had gotten away from writing about ski resorts as well. And there were still some outlets doing it. Sure. But back in the 90s when I was coming up really getting into skiing, there was a lot of information about you know, the, the, the ski magazine or skiing magazine or Power would write a big feature story on Vail or Alta or Jackson Hole or Killington. And I really wasn't seeing a lot of that anymore. It was all about kind of the adventure and the backcountry and the, the really novel things. Again, cool, but not super relatable. So I thought, okay, you know, what had kind of filled the vacuum was social media and basically anyone having a microphone or a megaphone rather to just <laughs> say whatever they wanted. And I thought that was an opportunity to do some actual journalism and really talk to the folks doing running ski areas and finding out from them what was going on and then breaking down in a really analytical way like what was happening, right? So the Icon Pass sure. comes out, all these mountains join it, you know, Jackson Hole, Revelstoke join the Icon Pass. That's great. That's a press release. But what does that mean? Yeah. You know, contextualize a little bit. What does it mean for the skiers? What does it mean for the pass? What does it mean for the ski industry? So that's what I tried to do, and it's gone um, better than I could have anticipated. And as of this recording, we went live about three years ago, and um, I have really good momentum and, and don't see any signs of it slowing down anytime soon. Excellent, and that's what I like to hear because I agree with you. There's not much... Uh, that's relatable to the street level skier, as I like to say. And I've, I've been pushing this since I started, you know, skiing, snowboarding, snowboards as a whole are for everyone and anyone. So as I'm doing this, I want to talk to everyone and everyone, whether you're running a mountain, whether you're an athlete, pro amateur, big mountain, FIS, doesn't matter. Um, the artists, the writers, um, Mike Rogie, Mike Mountain Gazette, he came on. You know, we I, I want to talk to everybody because I want it to be relatable to everybody. So I, that's something I do like about your program is that you you do it from a street level and I, I, again, I don't know if that's a stupid way to put it, but a street level skier, someone who's just there, you know, we're not all taking jumps and stuff. I actually say the same thing about ski film. You know, everybody's like, new Warren Miller film is great. And I was like, yeah, is it jump, frat boy, jump, frat boy, jump, frat boy? Like, you know, so I agree with you. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, I, I, uh, most ski media is told through the prism of the local or the townie, the, the people who are there who ski 100 days a year at Jackson or Snowbird or Palisades Tahoe. 
and I respect that, and that's a certain lifestyle. But I'm pretty upfront with framing myself as a tourist. You know, I sure. live in New York City. I have to drive a minimum of an hour and 15 minutes to ski at the closest outdoor lift service ski area, which is Mountain Creek. Yep. And I am fine with that. Most skiers are tourists, right? Sure. And so when the ski media is owned by people who live in ski towns and they're setting the narrative for 99% of the ski experience, there's going to be a disconnect between most people who are actually skiing. Mm -hmm. So my point of view is coming in as the person who's coming from outside, asking these naive and sort of outsider questions. But sometimes that remove helps because you're not so close to it. Sure. And sometimes the closer you are to it, the, the more kind of passionate and emotional you can be about certain topics. You see, for example, this housing situation I've been writing about in the town of Vail, sure. uh, which sometimes is harder to write about from an objective point of view if you're there all the time and know people who have certain opinions one over the other. Same with the gondola situation, Little Cottonwood Canyon. I'm just looking at this as an outsider and saying, you know, forming an opinion, doing some analysis based on what I think makes sense. And that I think is the value of, you know, it is weird. I admit it. It's weird that I have this national ski publication that's run out of Brooklyn, New York. But I think there's some value in that. And I think that gives me a certain level of objectivity and a certain sort of universal perspective that's sure. harder to get if you're, say, living in Crested Butte and skiing 100 days a year at that mountain and only that mountain. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would agree with you. Having the city, especially here in the east, you know, a lot of a lot of the folks who come up here, the majority of them, because the biggest thing we have in the east is New York City. So the majority of everybody is in New York City. That that's just just the way it is, and that's fine. Um, and you know, it, it is an interest to see someone who actually knows what they're talking about, as in not just some. Uh, I know I joke about the word poser, but for lack of a better term. Someone who doesn't know what they're talking about and someone who really doesn't care. They're just throwing out there whatever for whatever reason, you know, and it, that's fine. But having someone who can actually take a look at it, analyze it, come up with an opinion, an educated opinion, mind you, it, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And it's beautiful because you can say as a tourist, like, hey, I, Mountain Creek's the closest thing I have, you know, from my point of view, it's within an hour i have i can abuse any of the three major mega passes epic icon or india i can abuse them i will ski this year for ten dollars a day that's just the, that's just the <laughs> way it is you know plus whaleback plus ski queegee plus what have you saskadina whatever it is it's right around the corner for me mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing and that's actually why i like what you're doing is because i don't get to see it from you like i talked to matt viola from hill street snowboarding he's he's from brooklyn you know, as well. And he says, you know, it, it was different being a city kid who was just going to the Poconos as a kid and then his parents dropping him off there and then him growing up and being able to come up here. Mm -hmm. It's a whole other world, man. And I can't imagine what it is. What Like it draws you to the mountain. What exactly draws you to the mountains? Like you write about him, you talk to him, you're mm -hmm. in the city and I love New York. But what draws you out to it to even just Mountain Creek? You know, I've, I've had this column kicking around in my head for a few years now, and I've never actually taken the time to write it. But what I like about ski areas is mm. the same thing that I like about New York City. I grew up in the Midwest, and, and I grew up in a small town, about 800 people. Sure. And 
I would always kind of wonder where everyone was, right? There were no kind of gathering spots, right? Maybe maybe in the summer there was the beach and the, and the lake that was there. But when I found skiing, I, I found a place that drew people in that wasn't a shopping mall because that's kind of what people do in, in the Midwest. They go shopping <laughs> and that's like their gathering space. Sure. And I really like the energy of a lot of people in one place united around a common thing. And the reason I moved to New York City is that I'm very drawn to that energy of a lot of people together and, and watching a lot of things happen at the same time. And you could just go out in New York and you're never alone. You kind of feel like you're part of something. Mm-hmm. When you arrive at a ski area, you feel like you're part of something. Again, this is, I don't backcountry ski. It's For me, it's, it's too much trouble. It's too much gear. It's too much risk. I'm not prepared sure. for it. I'm not equipped for it. If someone wants to take me, sure, I'll go. But, mm-hmm. you know, I am drawn to nodes of human activity. And that's nice. what a ski resort is. And I like the extreme variety of it sure. and the personality and the culture that surrounds each one. Each ski resort is like its own little city, right? If you go to Boston, it's different than San Francisco. It's different than New York. It's different from Chicago. Those are all very distinct places, totally. even though on the outside, they're all a big city with skyscrapers in the middle and a train system and, and a bunch of people. But you, you're there and you feel different. Mm-hmm. Every ski area is the same. And there's 473 ski areas in the United States. And they're all interesting to me. I, you know, I go, I have all the big passes and and I go to all the little areas too. There's no ski area that I'm not interested in. And there's none that I've ever been to and not wanted to go back to for some reason or another and not found a story. in. so I really just, I I love the whole breadth and variety of lift served skiing. I like that. I I really do because I, I could totally relate to that. I love going anywhere i'll check it out i don't care if it's just surface lifts northeast slopes what do they got a t-bar and the world's fastest rope tail which i think is amazing (laughs) i love how they put that out on their website bring a pair of work gloves because it's going to rip your gloves (laughs) apart it's 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 brilliant it's beautiful but you know the biggest place i've been is killington personally because i've only skied in new england and never in maine isn't that weird um for being a new englander pretty much my entire life i've never i've been to maine but never skied it but you're right i want to see all of them and i have to explain this and I, i wonder if you do too to people who aren't in on it who don't do it you know they say well it's just slapping your sticks on your feet and going down snow it can't be different from one place to the next and that's not true is it you know i I had this friend who used to argue with me because when coke switched from glass bottles to uh to plastic yep he was like dude it's the same drink the coke in the plastic same as glass bottle i'm like no dude it's different you you know have one in a glass bottle and you understand but in order to get one you had to like drive to mexico is insane so i think it's a little easier to get them now (laughs) because they've sort of realized that appeal but this is something that formulaically he was probably right, right? But but yeah, the totally. way that the the drink interacted with the material, it somehow made it hit your mouth, your palate different. So that's that's something that's chemically identical, right? Is so sure. different just based on that one factor. So if you multi, if you take skiing and you look at all the different variables that make a ski area, from vertical drop to the, the lift system 
to the demographic it serves. Like some places are heavy on kids, some are heavy on families. If you go to a place like Berkshire East, you're going to see a lot of really good skiers, right? Or like Snowbird, you're going to see a lot of really awesome skiers. To things like exposure, to the weather, to the steepness of the hills, all those things combine to create a very unique character in each ski area. And everyone is completely different. And parts of every ski area are completely different. Like Mountain Creek's my home mountain. And it has, it used to be two separate ski areas. There's, there's North, which, which used to be called Great Gorge. And then there's, uh, well, I'm sorry, South used to be Great Gorge and, and North used to be Vernon Valley. Okay. And oh, yeah. they combined them a long time ago with one big long lift called Southern Sojourn. The South has been transformed into a giant terrain park. And the North has this really weird lift called the Cabriolet. It's like a giant bucket. Yep. And, <laughs> They feel they're only they're connected by a lift. Sure, they feel like completely different ski areas it, huh. because the the South is teenage snowboarders, and that's like eighty percent of it, right? Teenage right. snowboarders, <laughs> not judging them more. It's just two skiers there. Yeah, yeah. Other side is families and you know adult beginners and little kids and school groups and basically everyone else. They may as well be completely different worlds. I spend most of my time on South. I just enjoy the vibe over there. Sure. But even those two parts of the exact same ski area are so, so different. That's actually very interesting. Um, interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, I lived in New Jersey for 15 years, never skied at Mountain Creek. Isn't that stupid? It's amazing where I've lived versus where I've skied, <laughs> and it, it just makes no sense. People Come are like, down, man. I'll take you over there. All right, I'll go. I, I love New Jersey. A lot of people are like, ew, you love New Jersey? I was like, I love New Jersey, man. I mean, I know the parts to stay away from, but I love New <laughs> Jersey. It, it's great. But then people say the same thing. Like, wait, you lived in Las Vegas for a year and a half, and you didn't even go out to Lee Canyon. I was like, listen, it was a different time in my life, okay? <laughs> it was a thing. It was a personal thing. But We've all been there, man. Oh, yeah, totally. But you're right. And and, and it's, it's, it's really interesting to me that you picked pick mountain creek because you're right i, I would assume anyway you, well you said it i don't have to assume that it, it's two it's one ski hill now but you get the two different vibes and mm -hmm. i've used examples of like back in the day before the hermitage club was the hermitage club when it was haystack and mount snow owned by the same company you could see one from the other two totally different places and we were at haystack a ton when i was a teenager because mm -hmm. it was just less people same thing goes with uh, Stratton Bromley Magic. You can see the other two from any one, but totally different experience to each one, and you get a totally yeah. different crowd because of it. I mean, look at Magic, man. That's a that's a crowd all of its own. I think. What mm -hmm. do you think? Yeah, I, I think that Jeff Hathaway is uh, is a fantastic storyteller. He's really finally found what works for Magic. You know, that's a ski area that failed oh, yeah. and was out of business for a long time. Oh yeah, and it was not inevitable that Magic succeed, especially being right next to Stratton and Bromley, which are two mm. ski areas that have a lot more support and a lot more modern lift and snowmaking systems. Mm. Jeff Hathaway will have you believing that Magic is the best ski area in Vermont. And, you know, some people are be throwing tomatoes at me when I break the news to them that it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice, but, it you know... It's it's not as good as the story that Jeff tells about it, and that's why it's succeeding. I, I really am impressed with how upfront his Alpine updates are, those email sure. newsletters he sends out. Those are, in my opinion, the best regular newsletter update from any general manager in skiing. I, I sub 
subscribe to hundreds of them because I've, <laughs> I consider that part of the storm is to break those down and you, you know, most of them go right into the garbage, but once in a while you find a nugget in there. Sure. Uh, and he, he just, he, he's very transparent. Uh, he's very consistent. He's very honest. He owns his mistakes. And because of him, Magic season pass holder base has quadrupled, maybe even more now that that uh, they've gotten through this season, most of the way through the season pass sales season. So I think they're doing a, a terrific job at Magic. I, and it, I do think it's a great ski area. You know, is it the best yeah. ski area in Vermont? I mean, look, you're you're talking about a, a state that has Smuggler's Notch and Jay Peak and Stowe and Sugarbush and Killington. I mean, you know, it, it's it's tough competition. Magic's great. Yeah. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Jeff Hathaway has made it seem amazing. And that's, you know, all credit to him. Oh, yeah. Jeff can he will sell you on Magic Mount 100 percent. And I, I've said it openly. I was like, you know, if I'm going to relate magic to anything, I'd relate it to the dive bar. I really mm-hmm. feel that's kind of a close, you know, not say I'm hating on it. I, I went up there when it had no snow on a yeah. terrible day and I still had a good time. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it is what it is, but it's it's great that you can get that dive and then you can go to the high end thing over there at Stratton if you want to. And then you can come back around, hit Bromley, which is kind of middle of the road. Plus, it's south facing. It has all that sun. Oh, it's amazing. Awesome. Love it. Also very accessible right on a main road, um, yeah. right on a main road. Don't get hit by cars, kids. Holy smokes. Um it's beautiful and and again i try to explain to people like i want to see as many different mountains as i can not just for bragging rights though i am coming for you tom thrash i know how many you have he has over 60 um almost all in the u.s too so it's like wow dude i got some work to do but (laughs) i I, they are all different and that's part of the fun and you get to talk to all the different people and that's also part of the fun Stuart, you're quite the driver out there um i I was shocked when you said you came up to mcintyre from jack frost i think you said down there in pa i was like that's a that's a bit of a haul in it (laughs) (laughs) that's right um well i listen i i grew up in michigan sure and everyone in michigan drives everywhere all the time. When I took my first ski trip out of Michigan, I went to Copper Mountain in Colorado, and there was never even a question that I would make the drive. It was, I think, a 20-hour drive. Me and my buddy did it. We were 18 years old. We, on the way out, we stopped halfway in Lincoln, Nebraska. On the way back, we just drove straight and took turns. We used to drive to California all the time when we were teenagers. We would take turns. We would drive it straight in 37 hours. For, For me, coming from the Midwest to wake up at four in the morning drive up to vermont for a powder day and drive home that night is i don't even think twice about it 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 just makes sense to me it's it's how i've always been lives how i've always been programmed i do have uh two kids i have a 14 year old daughter and a six-year-old son so i do like to be home as often as possible every night Mm. to spend time with them and be there when they wake up so i make as much of a point to ski as much as possible while being away from home as little as possible. I also use a lot of vacation time, so I typically will go during the week. Sure. I, weekday is where it's at. I kind of worked my schedule to do the same thing. Like I'd <laughs> rather work through the weekend and always have. Again, it's what, when it's something you're accustomed to, I've always worked in retail or the ski industry. So mm-hmm. I'm on the weekends and holidays. I don't care. You know, what's Christmas? Yeah. Nothing for me. I don't care. Um, but I do, again, one of the things I like about you is that you're a driver. I love a good road trip. I love a bad road trip. I don't care. I will drive around the world and have planned that. Um, 
you know, you and McGregor and his friend Charlie Borman did it. They went around the world once, the the long way, long <laughs> way round is what the series was called. So if you've never seen that, it had nothing to do with skiing. But I love a good road trip. Um, that and that's something interesting, man. Being a New York City guy and coming up here, what's that like? Like I've always, I've never had to do it. I've never had to, you know, come up Friday night in traffic when now I've lived in New Jersey. Sure, I've been stuck on the Garden State Parkway. Parkway, aptly named Park. Mm -hmm. What is that like being a travel skier of that type? Again, for me, I could drive everywhere and not see another car. You can't. Yeah, well, typically when I leave, I, I almost always go on a, in the morning. So I either drive up on a weekday morning or if I sure. do a weekend like to Mountain Creek. Usually if I go on the weekend, I'm going to Mountain Creek because it's quick. Season pass holders get on the lifts at eight, and they have high-speed yeah. lifts and a 1,000 vertical feet, so I'll make laps. Um, it's very rare that I'm leaving on a Friday night. So when I'm leaving, usually mm -hmm. the wall of headlights is heading the other way down the highway. Totally. And then and then when I'm coming back, everyone's heading out of the city, so I'm kind of doing that reverse commute. Mm. I am going up to Sunday River for the Jordan A lift opening in a couple of weeks, so I will be driving up on Friday night with my family. Nice. It sucks. It, it yeah. You know, the, 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 the holiday traffic getting out of the city – is terrible, but I have lived in the city for 20 years. I'm pretty calculating when it comes to picking my spots about when to leave. You know, my wife will tell you I have all these crazy plans and strategies and techniques and for beating traffic and knowing the all these crazy little routes out of the city. But Dude. you know, there's no there's no one true hack. But mm -hmm. I know I have a pretty good backpack full of them, and I'll I'll pull them out whenever I need to. So. Um, <laughs> You know, it, typically I don't get caught in the really bad traffic as, as much as I can help it. Now, tell me if you agree with this one. Being a New Jersey guy and having to come home to go skiing and visit family, um, you can decide which one's more important out there in the world um, because I'm the only one in my family that skis. Um, I I avoid the, the George Washington Bridge like the plague. It's all about either Cuomo Bridge, which is what the Tappan Zee is called now, for those who don't know, and um, or using the the, the throughway. That that's the way I go up to Albany. What do you think? Mm -hmm. uh, it depends on where I'm going. You know, I I actually like the Taconic because it's almost never busy. Oh, totally. Yeah, and that avoids any bridge. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. typically, if I'm going to Vermont, I'll do that. You have to be careful because there's a lot of cops. But I usually just set my cruise control on sixty and just go um that was the only ticket i've gotten in the last 20 years was was on the taconic so i learned my lesson and they're always perched there so mm -hmm. yeah that's that's typically my route if i'm going in new york though i, I usually i will go out the gw because again it's morning yep. but i come back over the cuomo uh tap and z just because it's a it's cheaper and b it's i don't know if i've ever seen it backed up inbound not like eastbound not since they put the cameras in yeah um, and I yeah, know that's no only boost anymore. Yeah, and I know that's only going the one way. It's not going the other way. But for some reason, I remember that before the new bridge was built. Let me ask you something, as a New Yorker, are you on the side of rename it Tappan Z, or are we good with the Cuomo thing? Um, uh, <laughs> this is just for me. It's stupid and goofy. Yeah, I know, it, but it, it, no, it's. <laughs> Look, I'm sure if I looked into it, I would yeah. understand the rationale behind it. To me, I just get annoyed because it's hard to change your vernacular. Like I, I grew up in this small town in Michigan, like I said, mm -hmm. and this gas station in town was called Total. Mm -hmm. And then it changed to a marathon, and now it's called something else. 
it probably hasn't been total since like 1989, but I still call it total because that's just what it, what's in my head, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so w- once you get these things in your head, it's it's hard to to just reprogram yourself. It's just not how humans work. <laughs> no, so right. I, yeah, I'd say it's just a little tricky. I, I don't really want to get involved with assigning a value if, if it's if it's right or wrong. I think it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's the right answer. <laughs> It's just goofy because I saw there was like, a, and again, I know it has nothing to do with his program, my program, skiing, nothing. But, you know, you, it's stuck in my head since like there was a petition that went out, rename it Tappan Z and all this yeah. before the son of Mario Cuomo got in trouble. Like this was, this, it had, this was nothing political. It was just New Yorkers doing their thing. You know, it's funny to me. I don't know. But. Stuart is a travel skier and New Yorkers. He just told you there's ways out that aren't the usual ways. You just got to know how to how to work your way around it. Don't be afraid to get up before sunrise and do it. Believe me, um, it helps. Coming from Jersey, I, I know the same thing. Having to come through this, well, near the city. And uh, if you leave at 435 in the morning, that's all. It, it's not even a deal. So that's awesome. Travel skiing is a wonderful thing. You know I love it. Um, I also saw that you went past Granite Gorge the other day. Um, I want to get down there myself. I actually went past that the night. That night I left and ha- was in, heading to Keene, going to someone else's house after we were all done at McIntyre. So I didn't get to see it. What? How much about that place, since you stopped in and took the picture and you seem to know, how much of that place did you know? Or how much about that? Do you know the story? Because I know tidbits. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's talk about it. So Granite Gorge is one of these ski areas that has a very uneven history where no one's ever really been able to figure it out. It's had some periods of stability and it's had some periods of being a lost ski area and it's always just sort of hung on. And the last gentleman who owned it, whose name I can't think of off the top of my head. I don't remember either. He passed away suddenly right around the time COVID started. I don't think he got COVID. I think he was just in bad health. That I did. And know. yeah, uh, uh, so that's why it shut down. And then his brother held on to it for a while, said it wouldn't reopen for skiing. And then he ended up selling it to a group of local keen investors. Sure. I don't know who they are, but the general manager they hired is named Keith Kreischer. And he worked at Wyndham for a long time. Okay. I actually interviewed him for an article that I haven't written yet, just talking about the various ski areas that are slated to come back online. And there's four in the country that I'm aware of for this coming ski season. There's Granite Gorge and Tenney in New Hampshire. There's um, Hickory next door in New York. Well, not next door to New Hampshire, but next door to New England. And then out in uh, Colorado is a little place called Kuchara. So Granite Gorge, this guy Keith is really really bringing it back together. And everyone I spoke to at the Ski New Hampshire event seemed really confident mm. that Granite Gorge come back online. Tenny, they were a little less certain about. But Granite Gorge, they felt really good about. They felt like he was doing all the right things. It's it's a small ski area. It's only about 500 vertical feet. It's pretty steep on the face. It has It's like a lot like Whaleback. It just has that one double chair, yep. an old double chair that they put up on, you know, within the past 10 to 15 years. It has some surface lifts. And they do plan to open mostly as its business is going to be school programs. It's going to be one of those places that lives and dies by teaching local kids how to ski. And it's a real stepping stone ski area. You go to Granite Gorge, you learn there, you go up to Pat's Peak, you get better there, and then you start going to Sunapee or you start going to Ragged or you start going to Loon. 
So it's sort of this this step up. Everyone's been real supportive of it. I feel good about it. I feel like of all the lost ski areas that of the four I just mentioned, that and Kuchara are the ones that I think are going to come back online. Sure. This winter, the other two I'm I'm less certain about, but but that's the story. I saw they had made a when I stopped by the other day. I didn't go behind the gate. It was really just a stopover. I was driving between New Hampshire and, and Mount Snow to take a few turns, and I just took some pictures. They had blown some snow on the beginner hill, um, and you know, I couldn't really tell much else of what was going on. But last I talked to Keith, which was probably about a month ago now, he was feeling really good about opening for this winter. Interesting. See, the thing is, and I, I, I saw this just right just before you got on. I, I was just flipping through um social media, paying you know, checking things out, whatever, killing time really. And uh, I, uh, I, I saw it and I was thinking about it. I was like, because that the previous owner, I talked to him not officially because I wasn't do when I started in this. While I did have some journalism education back in high school, Fred Baber, that's his name. That's his name. Yep, that yeah. was his name. And Sorry, uh, that's it's amazing that you could recall that. I don't even remember my name half the time. Holy smokes. In fact, <laughs> when I saw that you're, you were on the guest list for the uh, Ski New Hampshire event, I was like, am I even going to remember who he is? The name, sure, but the face, it, it's going to be awful. I don't remember anything anymore. But anyway, I was talking to him and it, um, and, and interviewing was my Achilles heel. I just was no good at it. Now I'm still no good at it, but at least I can make it fun. And I, I was talking to him and it was just, I asked him, I was like, I just saw in one of the local rags, whatever it was, the Brattleboro reform or what have you, that it was being foreclosed or something. I don't know, but I asked him, I was like, dude, is this story right? And he said, no, that it wasn't going to be auctioned because that, that was the story. It was going to be auctioned and whatnot. He's like, no, that's not going to happen, this, that, and the other. A couple days later, it was announced official that it was going to be auctioned. So I never knew what the guy was doing. I, I I couldn't get it. But he always seemed really, and I don't mean to speak ill of the dead. Like I said, I didn't know he died, but he always seemed very negative when I talked to him. So I had no idea. I was like, I, I, best of luck. It's a ski area in Keene that I had never heard of, and I grew up in southern Vermont from age 10 to age 20. Like I, That's where I grew up. And I skied at Mount Snow, and I worked at Mount Snow, and Stratton, and not Stratton, Haystack, and Killington, all the American skiing company, to date myself further. Um, that's that's where I was, so I'd never heard of it. So it's like, why are you being negative, dog? Like, I, I don't know. That's why I wanted to ask you when I saw it. I was like, what was the story with that? Because I have no idea. In your defense, I have to say, social media and just the internet in general has made it a lot easier to have a complete view of ski areas, because before... Mm. A Skiria's reputation was only as good as its marketing, right? So mm-hmm. everyone knew about Killington and Stowe and Jay Peak and Stratton and Okimo because those ski areas were large and they had marketing budgets and your friends were likely to have gone there, sure. right? Because Killington was doing a million skier visits a year and Okimo was doing several hundred thousand. Yeah. And these little places, you know, it was unlikely that if you were going to drive up from New York City, which is where a good proportion of New York's or a Vermont ski business comes from, totally. you probably weren't going to drive up there to go to Magic or a smaller place. But now it's a little bit easier to, A, for these places to develop a following, sure. but B, just for from a consumer point of view, to just pull up a map and, and see all the different ski areas. And there's lists and everything online that mm-hmm. it used to be you'd have to go buy a book and <laughs> yep, see what was yep. in there, the white book of <laughs> ski areas or whatever. So a lot of these little places really, I think a lot of lost ski areas would have done better in our current age because they could have differentiated themselves in a way that didn't require so many marketing dollars. 
I would agree with that. And 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 so I mean, you did have your your gems of marketing. You know, the uh, Mad River Glen bumper stickers, man. That's got to be one of the best marketing campaigns in history. What did that cost them? Twenty bucks back in the eighties or seventies, <laughs> whenever that started. I forget when. But you know, everybody saw that Mad River Glen ski. If you can, everybody knew that place, and it's that big. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a speck compared to everything around it. Um, but you're right. I'm still finding out about places I, you know, I'd never heard of, never been. The beauty of the Indy Pass. I always talk up the Indy Pass. I love it. I never took the time to come up to what was then called Suicide Six, now Saskadena Six. Because, well, two reasons. It was small and out of the way. Why am I going to drive from Dover and Wilmington to, to Woodstock when I can just go to Killington and then not have to pay either American Skiing Company for those who are keeping you know track? But you're right. I, the Internet is a wonderful thing, and you do find places. Like, I... You know, I knew about the places I knew because either I, A, worked for the company or B, was just driving around and happened to find it. But even today, like, there, there I used to volunteer at a... Um, at a, at, a, at, a, at a Methodist camp, uh, summer camp that's right around the bend from one of the ski areas that's on the Indy Pass in upstate New York, up north of Rome in Utica. Um, Titus? No, that one's up in Malone, up by Lake Placid. So Snow Ridge or, or West, those are all the ones that are... Yeah, Snow Ridge is the one north. it is. And mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember. I cannot remember. Dude, I can't remember anything. I was talking to Doug Fish, and I was like, can you name them all? He's like, God, no. <laughs> I'm like, neither can I, so don't even worry about it. Uh, oh, it's rough. But, yeah, I, I had no idea that was there. I was going. I went there and volunteered for four years. It was around the corner, no clue. Indie Pass comes along. Now I know the Internet's here. You're right. It's it's a beautiful thing. And you said you go to the smaller places, too. You have, you have Indie as well, I assume. I think that's what you mm-hmm. said, right? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. Yeah. So, and and you you enjoy those places too for the same reason we all do. Get away from all the the big mountain stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I, I just am by nature drawn to variety and sure. novelty, and mm-hmm. I really just like seeing. There's a lot of reasons I like the smaller scares. Number one, I I like the time machine aspect of it. I like riding these old lifts. Yep. I like feeling like you know riding something that someone did 50 years ago and and sort of having substantively the same experience. I find that I'm not really I'm really an off-piste skier, and sure, the smaller places don't have the budget to groom as much, which I like because it it creates all kinds of weird little trails all over the place. Oh yeah, man. that 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 might you know little shots through the woods or little bump areas or little impromptu jumps that I really like to explore and play around on. You know, they're obviously cheaper. Usually, you can park right at the base of the lifts. Mm-hmm. They have certain kind of character i, I mean I, I hate it when people say the large scariest don't because they also have a lot of character and a lot of personality but as a writer you know uh, how interesting would i be if i only went to the same 15 ski areas and only wrote about the same 15 ski areas that everyone else in the northeast writes about if all i did was base my whole thing around sugarbush stowe waterville valley cannon whiteface yeah, I'm going to talk about those places. Sure. But there are I just I just counted this up today. There are 170 ski areas between Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York and the six New England states, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where I started the storm was in New England or in the Northeast. I focused on that for 2 years then I expanded nationally last year. But if I would have started only writing about the 15 biggest ski areas, I would have flamed out pretty quick, I think, because it's just it's a little bit like what I was talking about earlier 
with the media only focusing on the flippity do guys, the bros who can do all the tricks. Sure, it's a little one note. It's it 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 runs out. Of, the fu- that fuse burns out pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And I think that if I'm really going to have something to say and really be able to properly contextualize the world of lift surf skiing the way that I want to and give a a true global point of view on it, then I need to go out and experience and write about these places mm-hmm. and help other people inspire other people to want to go experience these places. And, you know, that makes it a true lifetime project because if I wanted to keep writing about the same places, I would run out of stories really fast. But now Mm -hmm. I I will never, people keep asking me, what are you going to do when you run out of general manager interview? I said, I'll never run out. I've only been doing this for three years. I've already, I've already had to redo Loon because I got a new general manager. Totally. Sugarbush, you got a new general manager. Totally. Sunday River because I got a new general manager. <laughs> There's 473 skiers in the U.S. I'm going to expand to Canada next year. That's another couple hundred. Then there will be turnover. I will never ever. This is a lifetime project. I will never ever ever run out of people to stop interviewing. I'll never run out of ski areas to go to. I think there's something like 6,000 ski areas in the world. You know, I'm not going to visit them all. I'm just not. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. No way. Even if I tried. But there will always be something new. There will always be something novel. There will always be something that will interest me. And I think if it's interesting to me, it will probably be interesting to other people who love skiing as well. No, and you're you're 100% right. I actually think that's part of what killed uh, publications like Powder Mag and things like this is that you were just talking about these three or four in Colorado, those two in Utah, Killington and Sunday River over here, and you'd throw a bone to like Arizona or New Mexico, something that you pick one of the big ones out of there, and that's what you get. And you see it in a lot of these, like I was reading again, I don't know why I look at it every single year. I think it's the Boston Globe does there. This many, the best ski areas. And it's like, the A, that's subjective, so you can't hey, say the best. And B, it's always the same 10 or 15 or whatever they do because those are the biggest and most well-known. Again, the marketing point. Because um, I would put, I, for example, I was just talking to somebody. I was like, when people ask me how to avoid Stowe's traffic, I say, take a left off the exit and go to Bolton. <laughs> that that that's it dude and they're like what's bolton i'm like and there's the issue so yeah. i agree with you man uh, go to the smaller places i'm also you'll never get them all i can't wait till you go to canada i want to go to canada Montreblanc. they have a casino with a lift there's nothing better than that in this world i love casinos i love atlantic city lived in las vegas i love it all so i i also am going to expand into canada next season <laughs> nice but it's just really to go gamble and ski at the same time. I just, that, that's for me, kids. <laughs> sure, I'll do something on here about it, but that's for me. Um, but since we're talking small, uh, Stuart was up at the uh, McIntyre, and shout out to McIntyre if you've never been there. Um, it's a cool little place. It's literally a ski mountain. Well, mountain, it's, I don't know, it's only got like 200 vertical, I think, about-ish. And uh, it's in the middle of a neighborhood. Like, it, it's the truest ski-on, ski-off you could possibly have. Because it's not at your condo. It's at your house. It's at your school. It's at the VA facility that's literally up the hill, a hospital. It's a wonderful, cool little place. Did you ever ski there or did you just visit that time? Uh, I skied there. Yeah, cool. it's it's a it's a ski area, right? Yeah. It's small. It's a lot actually like the ski areas I used to ski in the Midwest. Totally. In Michigan, there's just not a lot of vertical there. Mm. And I can have a lot of fun on 200 vertical feet. Oh yeah, absolutely. I went there just for uh just for a morning and was like, dude, this is this is cool. Mostly to me for me, it was man, if I was to ever move to Manchester, New Hampshire, which will probably never happen, 
but this is the neighborhood I want to live in just because it's different. Like, it's right there. But anyway, uh, my friend, my partner in crime up here, John Hunt, whom Stuart talked to, I forgot, man, you got him on your program like on his 31st day on the job, dude. That's awesome. I talked to him like a month and a half later, I think. But you got him early. And to see what was it like hanging out with him. All right, so quick story. Stuart asked me, what do you think we're going to talk about on Monday? And John's like, talk about Whaleback. And I'm like, I'll do that anyway. But <laughs> what is it like to see someone like, because you said you're never going to run out of GM's executives. Mm-hmm. You're never going to run out. John's brand new, and he's already done a ton with a small place. What do you think about being able to see that 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 progression in the, his job, his work, and that mountain? I love it. I, I think that Whaleback is doing a smaller version of what Magic is doing with a smaller ski area that serves a very different purpose, right? Mm. Wellback's story is different than Magic's story. Magic's story is it's this rowdy little anti-corporate mm-hmm. spot with great terrain and a great vibe. Yeah. Wellback's story is it's super easy to get to, it's cheap, it's 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 got some nice terrain, it's it's you know right off the highway, and you're not going to be waiting in lift lines when you're there. And what what John has been able to do is kind of take that raw material and shape it into the beginnings of, they're not as far along as Magic, he's only been on the job for a year and a half, Mm -hmm. but the beginnings of a sustainable operation. And and that's all Wellback needs to be. I mean, the the fundamental difference here is Magic is a for-profit business. Mm -hmm. But Wellback, and I was actually just writing about this today, the best decision they ever made was to turn that into a nonprofit ski area in 2013 because Whaleback's mm-hmm. another one of these like Granite Gorge. No one's ever been able to figure it out. Yep. And they either tried to make it into Canon Junior or totally. they tried to make it too, like they, they adjusted too much the other way, like tried to make it this kind of bland thing. I think John has embraced the fact that, you know, this is a nice little scary with some nice glades it it has some good terrain but this is what it is it's it's a place where you can get a $200 season pass you can ski at night mm-hmm. you can pop off right off i90 89 i89 excuse me new englanders <laughs> and uh, and and make you know ski for an hour when it's dumping or when it's not and and go home and not really miss anything totally. so i think that as long as they don't try to make it what it isn't and and john continues to embrace what it is and he gets buy-in from the board to embrace what it is um i think that it will be very successful i think that what could really send well back up a level is if it was able to get full indie pass membership it did join the indie pass allied program which yep. gives indie pass holders half off on weekdays 25 percent off on weekends and holidays mm-hmm. I don't know how much of a draw that's going to be because Indy Pass holders already have two days at Cannon and two days at Waterville and two days at Black and two days at Jay and two days at Magic and two days at Bolton Valley. And you're probably going to go through all those days before you're going to pay more money to ski somewhere else, mm-hmm. especially a place that's smaller than every resort I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I think it might be cool for Whaleback Pass holders to be able to add that on, but I don't, I don't know how appealing the Allied program is going to end up being 
or resorts that can't be a part of it. I'm really curious to see how this no boundaries pass works out, which is $99 and you get three tickets each at mm -hmm. uh, Whaleback, Dartmouth Skiway, and Mount Abram. And you can either use one ticket for a weekday, two tickets for a non-holiday Sunday, or three tickets for a, a Saturday or holiday. So you could ski up to nine days or as few as three, depending on how, how you work it. And yep. you get three tickets for each ski area. Now, if if Whaleback can't go full indie and No Boundaries ends up being successful and expands, that might be a better option for them. I don't I don't know how much appeal that pass is going to have with, and I just wrote about this in a, a newsletter I sent out right before we talked. Sure. I don't know how much appeal that pass is going to have just because if you look around the Northeast, you can get a Northeast Epic Pass for less than 500 bucks. Well, you can't anymore, but you could if you were, if you were an early bird, <laughs> the Epic Pass is off sale. Sure. You, you know, the Icon Pass has some amazing mountains on it. The Indy Pass is, you know, it started at 279 and you get 14 resorts in New England and then seven next door in New York. It's, it's going to be a tough sell, but I think Whaleback will succeed regardless as long as they stay on that course. But I think Indy Pass membership could give them a big, big boost because then a lot of people would say, oh, this is super easy. Why not use it? I know it's it's been good to the point of maybe overloading Berkshire East and Catamount. Mm. And Berkshire East for years was a place that just nobody knew about. It totally. Because, yeah, it, 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 even though it has great terrain, and great operators and a great vibe. It was just sort of lost, mm -hmm. right? People who were either driving that far north were just keeping on going to Vermont. They weren't thinking to stop in Massachusetts. If they were, they were going to Jiminy Peak with the high-speed six-pack. So mm -hmm. Indy has that potential. It started to have that potential as a real launch pad for ski areas. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Allied program will be great. I'm I'm a little skeptical of it. I, I don't think it's that great of a benefit uh, for skiers or ski areas yet. We'll see. Again, I have to agree. I don't know how it's going to turn out. And again, you're right. As a travel, as as someone who's traveling around, like for me, the Allied thing is something I'm going to use. Obviously, not at Whaleback because I have a, I have a Whaleback pass. Like uh, that's what I have. Yeah. Two hundred bucks. He's not wrong. Um, believe me, I'll abuse that one too. I'll be down to like a dollar a day at that place. But um, <laughs> two hundred day season at Whaleback. I'd yeah. like to see that. <laughs> I mean, if you had the grass. You know, <laughs> roller those grass skiing. skis. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. I would never do that. I'm not that good a skier as it is. Um, <laughs> but kidding aside, yeah, like for me, again, I can shoot over to the Middlebury Snow Bowl, and that'll be twenty dollars on a weekday. I think, if I remember correctly, which is banging. Um, uh, who else is on Allied? The Skiway is on Allied, and um, no matter King how, Pine and. McIntyre. Yeah, yeah, and McIntyre. And Burke, yeah. Burke's a good one. Burke's the best one. Burke is a great one. That was a shocker. Didn't see that coming. Um, yeah. Again, the skiway, and again, because I have a whaleback pass, I, I I could go there for half price anyway. It doesn't matter to me, but you're right. It's it's an odd thing, um, but Doug Doug seems to, Doug Fish seems to have faith in it, and he seems, he's hit on all cylinders so far, so we'll see how it turns out. Would whaleback benefit from uh, full indie again i don't know because it really is you're not wrong when like when you made the comparison between whaleback and magic whaleback is a community hill and if you think i'm wrong trust me the company hypertherm over here in lebanon any day it's snowing check your punches because people are 
out of there. And they might not have punched out. They might have snuck out. <laughs> I seen it. I was over there on a power day one day. I've never seen so many cars at that place. I was like, you love it. It was like two two thirty in the afternoon. I was like, oh yeah. Everybody here's playing hooky, except for the kids, of course. The schools knew they were there. But everybody else is breaking out. Yeah. So hypertherm, DMCH, all of you there, or uh DHMC, I mean, you know, just just, just check your punches. It's fine. So it but it is a great place. I talk it up. I tell people all the time I don't like talking it up because I don't want it to be not become more, but I like having it to myself on a Tuesday at two o'clock, first chair. You know, but I also want to see it succeed. So go check it out, everybody, if you haven't. Stuart, have you been up there and skied it? I don't remember. I've not skied it, no. I have to ski it this year. That that'll be cool. You come up, you let me know. I'll go over there. It's it's yeah. it, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy I enjoy the double chair. Um, John will come out. I catch him, you know, walking through. I'm like, dude, you got ten minutes, and he's like, yeah. And we go up and we come <laughs> down, man. Um, shout out to Alex too. I've skied with Alex a bunch. In fact, I was getting to know them so well. One of their lifties, he's not going to be a lifty this year. He's moving to Colorado. He ran into me at Killington during the the Killington Cup, the heroic <laughs> Killington Cup. And he recognized me before I recognized him. I was like, oh, dude. Right. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. I love it, that community. It's a community place. It's a friendly place. And it is fun. And it, some of the terrain is no joke. It's it's made me breathe heavy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to say I'm a CrossFit athlete anyway. I'm not in great shape. But it, it, it'll it test you. It'll test you. And it's a wonderful place. And I love it. And I think you'll love it, too. But there, John, did we talk about it enough? You can let me know later in the week if you want to. But we're going to go on to some other things here. Um, one of the things I saw, and this was something that was interesting to me, and we I do want to talk to Snowbound because I haven't been able to really talk to anybody else who was working there. I've talked to people who went there but not really working there. But at Snowbound in particular, I stopped to talk to the ladies, uh, Hannah, and I'm sorry to the other one. I can't remember your name. Uh, but they we were talking about Big Snow American Dream. Because I love mm-hmm. Big Snow. I've only been there once, but I love it. The ridiculousness mm-hmm. of riding a quad chair in a giant freezer. It's amazing, and I love it. Um, but we talked about the haters, because people hate on that place all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nobody gave you hate to your face, did they? And she's like, yeah, actually, a couple of them did. I was like, well, awesome. Go Jersey. Rock on. Whatever. <laughs> um, but <laughs> this is all going to a, a tweet I saw. Uh, You put it up sometime today, and now I just lost it because the dang app just (laughs) did what it shouldn't have um, and reset itself. But anyway, you were talking about Epic Passes being, I can't read it now word for word, Epic Passes being sold out, and you made a remark about insert the people who think they know what they're talking about telling you the business model, even though you've written about it a billion times. And um, Out of Bounds... Re, uh, reply to it something like I how they enjoy when you're mean to uh, trolls. Um, I assume that was Jabber because I think he's the one who plays with Twitter most over there. Um, do you deal with the haters? Well, not at all. Like I don't like them and I've had to have people talk me down from doing some real damage. Like How do you handle it? Uh, I have evolved over time. I don't know that I've always handled it well or that I do always handle it well. I I think that, you know, the frustrating thing about social media is that people, for whatever reason, because of the way the interface is built or or the anonymity of it, they feel the license to to talk to people in a way that they just wouldn't in real life. Yeah. In a a very, 
it's a very condescending way of speaking in a very mean-spirited way and this sort of assumption of bad intent i used to occasionally engage with people and get angry and i, I had a particularly bad exchange about a year ago and just decided that i wasn't going to argue on twitter anymore and i just was not going to let people hook me into battle on the open internet i will respond to most emails and direct messages mm -hmm. if the person comes at me in an aggressive way or a particularly vile way i, I will typically either ignore it or just block them. Sure. I've gotten pretty liberal with that. And I really mostly stopped even checking comments on posts I make. I, I kind of think of it as broadcasting, right? Okay. <laughs> Where I'm just putting information out there. Cool. I because like I found that too often it was putting me in a place I didn't want to be. The hmm. bad headspace. It was creating bad energy. Is distracting me from all the things I need to do in my life, distracting me from the storm, distracting me from my kids, distracting me from my wife. Yeah. And this wasn't a good use of my energy. So I've I've never really been a scroller anyway. Yeah. But what I've really done is stopped checking the replies too often. I'll still look at them sometimes. So if if I threw something out there like that, I was just acknowledging sort of one of the things that I found annoying about social media, which is what I said earlier, this assumption of bad intent mm -hmm. or it's only a 140 character tweet. You know, I can't write war and peace in this tweet. Totally. And sometimes I'm just trying to convey a pit of information and, and some knucklehead wants to remind me of all the things that I didn't include or don't understand about this. And I'm like, I think you're reading too much into this, dude. Yeah. So, yep. I don't, I, you know, I appreciate Jabber. That's my guy. <laughs> I, I wouldn't give my, he's probably giving me too much credit there. You know, I wasn't trying to, uh, that wasn't like my Trump Carter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was just trying to, uh, to, to get ahead of, of what I saw would be some of the probably less well considered responses that I, I see as the uh, incivility problem with social media. I know I'm not alone, and I also know that it's a, a silly thing to harp on because that's just that's just what social media is and what it will be until the day I die. So uh, that that's not a, a mountain I'm going to try to to conquer and plant my flag in necessarily. But I'll I'll work my little digs in there at the mob wherever I <laughs> feel it's appropriate. I like that, man. That's probably a better way to handle it because I find it intriguing because social media can be a mess anyway. And then when you're trying to be, a, you know, an actual writer, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to use the words content creator because you're trying hard and I try hard and we were trying to make something worth reading, worth listening to, worth seeing, whatever it is. And the haters come by and now I have a mean streak and I know it and I have no problem effing wording and essing wording and a wording and whatever words you want to use, I'll use them. And again, got to be talked down sometimes like, dude, just let it go. And I find it very interesting when, when people, you know, who are in the public eye, not saying we're either of us are Brad Pitt, but you know, we're, we, we have people, 
we entertain people in a way and we inform people and people like to take out whatever frustration, anger out on us. You don't fire it back. I will. That's bad. I was just curious. Um, you let, know. let me let me say, you know, I, I think it's first of all, it's hard to put yourself out there. Sure. And and I think in, until you're doing it and because every podcast I put out, I mean, I put between 15 and 20 hours into it between prep and edit and recording and yeah, and writing the article that goes along with it. Most of my articles that aren't podcast based take at least 10 hours. Mm. And when you take that and that, you know, if time is money, then then time is also sort of creating something of, of personal value and, and you put out there and it's kind of out there and people can do whatever they want with it. And, and it can be tough to take that. I, you know, a piece of advice that I got, and I don't remember, I wish I could credit the source on this because I don't remember if I heard it in journalism school. I don't think it was because social media wasn't big when I went to journalism school, but, sure. but it was uh, punch up, not down. Mm. Right. So, so yes, will I criticize who did I criticize today? It was uh, some big mountain, right? Or take, you know, Vail Resorts does something and, and you critique it. Or, or I'll, I'll give you an example. Like last year when Powdercore rolled out their fast lanes yep. for Killington, Snowbird, Copper, and Bachelor, I had some a pretty harsh assessment of that, right? But, but Powdercore can take it, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're a, a big company and they just did something that affects a lot of people and a lot of people who bought season passes for over $1,000 to their mountains. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're a public entity and they're out there. Now, if some, you know, two, tr- two follower Twitter troll wants to come after me, like this one dude kept doing and kept doing and kept doing over my take on Vail Resorts having a, an employee housing project that they were ready to invest $20 million into, or I think it was $14 million into on land that they owned yep. and the town of Vail shut it down. And this troll kept harassing me about it. There's no reason for me to go after that guy. True. And I'm not saying I'm better than anybody, but I am saying that this is a, this is a person that is trying to get attention that is practically begging for it and is hoping to leverage, I hate that word, is hoping to use the pla- the several thousand followers that I built to yep. amplify his message. And I'm just not going to give him that satisfaction. And eventually I blocked him because he was just getting too annoying. And now here I am talking about him on this podcast, so I guess he got what he wanted. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I'm but not saying his name, so I guess that's good enough. And, and I, I think that that has helped guide me, right? I yeah. think that what I'm, I'm as a, a ski industry pundit, and someone who has an opinion, and I think that Killington or Vail Resorts or Altera Mountain Company is equipped to absorb that criticism and perhaps use it in a meaningful way. Whereas if I try to attack or get defensive about just some random hitting me on social media, it makes me look petty, it makes me look bad, uh, it, it makes me look unserious, it makes me look like someone who frankly, maybe shouldn't be trusted with, uh, you know, this yeah. platform I built where, where, and you know, ski industry executives trust that they can come on a podcast mm-hmm. and I will treat that in a respectful way that it deserves. Sure. Because their time is a very valuable thing. So, you know, I want to 
sort of keep that perception. Now, sometimes it's a little weird. I think sometimes my newsletter gets salty and um, I'll throw some f bombs in there, and it, and it gets a little <laughs> uh, wily. But that's sort of part of the entertainment yeah. piece of it. And I'm not picking on, you know, random Twitter troll number fifty two. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, look, dropping a few swear words, but they, 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 we got to have some fun too. How many of y'all listen to Mario and Brian over there? <laughs> Those guys are great. They're all, almost all about the fun. Again, different. And uh, I have a lot of fun with those guys, too. And I was actually telling them at Snowbound. I was like, my mouth gets filthier when I'm recording. I don't care about swearing. In my daily life, I do it constantly. But here I've been trying, you know, trying a little bit, kind of, whatever. But, you know. It, yeah, it, I do a clean podcast. I, I think I think for listeners, it's. It's appealing. I think a lot of people have told me they listen with their kids. So yeah. I keep the podcast clean as a general thing. Yeah. Well, and I try to as well. And again, it depends on who I'm talking to. If I'm uh, if I'm over there on highfalutin or they're on here, it gets a little little racy with the language. Um, Jabber was on here. It got a little racy with the language, you know. Um, and, I, and I love Adam. He's a great guy. It, it sucked, man. I ran out of time. I, I talked to Adam X, but not Adam jabber when i was down in snowbound i was i was a little upset because that was the first time i met both those guys in person so and stored as well and it was a lot of fun happens, snowbound, don't you think <laughs> yeah yeah i was in and out I, I took my train up from new york in the morning i got there around lunchtime and i i left uh at around dinner time but it was good good energy i thought mario and brian did a great job hosting the main stage steve wright general manager of jp joined me on the stage yep. he was very gracious cause he'd just been on the podcast not that long ago mm. It's nice to meet you in person. I met a bunch of other folks. The energy I thought was really good. The the space was very appealing. They did a nice job. You know, I'm not really a convention goer sort, but hmm. as far as listings go, it was it was cool. I was also glad to get out of there. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, and I get it. Like uh, for me, I don't know. I'm like you in a way where I'm drawn to the crowd ish, yeah. similar to you, but it's a little different. And, and but I, so I like being in there. I like the social aspect. That's something I try to talk about here on Ski Rex Media. Is skiing is a social sport, even if you're doing it by yourself, because you're sitting on a lift. You're going to probably talk to that person or those people. And you get some great stories. I was at Pat's Peak. I'm talking to a guy. His daughter sitting between us, and it was she, just a look on her face of two older guys just yapping about skiing around. She was just bored with it. it it's It's great. That's part of the fun. So I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. I was only there for Friday myself, and I had to go back to South Station as well um, to take a bus, not a train. Uh, definitely the best way to go to Boston next year if you're going. It has been announced for November 3rd, 4th, and 5th at a different convention center, but don't drive into Boston. You will thank me later. You think we were talking about New York traffic? Forget it. New York, Boston's worse. Just saying. Anyway. I was a lot of fun. I liked it. I think they did a great job. Um, I actually had a better time that year than the last one in 2019. That was the first time I'd ever gone. I think this was better personally. Um, maybe other people disagree. I don't know. They had all kinds of stuff going there. A lot of fun. Mario and Brian. Um, you got the Steve Wright interview on stage. How was that for you? Do you usually, you don't usually work live, do you? No, that was the only one I've ever done live. There you go. How'd you feel? You I've did always a good done the line. Huh? Oh, thank you very much. It, it was fun. You know, I think Steve is easy to interview. He's he's very personable. He has a lot to say. He's a very smart guy. Mm -hmm. He's done just a phenomenal job leading JP through it. You know, I I think that I would like to do it more. I honestly just don't. Like I said, my wife edits the podcast. I, I don't have that technical um, 
ability or, or really patience to figure it out. I, I would like to eventually do more of those. Snowbound did all attack for that one. Sure, yeah. And, and so I didn't have to figure that out. And, and obviously there's a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jabber does most of his live mm-hmm. and a lot of other folks do as well. I think that, again, getting back to the fact that I'm in New York, it, you know, there pretty much everyone comes through here at some point, but there are no ski areas here. And yeah. and unless I want to just do this, when I go to a ski area, I want to go skiing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I don't want to sit in someone's office. Yeah, one hundred. So you know, I I would rather do it. You know, on a Monday night when I can't possibly be skiing anywhere, than yeah. than waste time when there's a lift spinning outside doing the podcast. So I, I think I'll probably do it again at some point. Uh, I, I'm not super driven to organize it myself if someone asked me to i would certainly be open to that oh cool that that was gonna be my next question you know come next year you know as raccoon uh, events start sending out emails and stuff if they say hey Stuart, you want to come do it again you want to do two this time or whatever they would possibly offer <laughs> would you do it and clearly you would yeah i i mean we'll have to see how my schedule goes you know my my number one priority in the fall is Michigan football. Okay. I have season enough. tickets. <laughs> and it's the only sport I follow. There's only 12 games a year. Mm-hmm. And those 12 games are my super duper extra big priority. Nice. So if there's a Michigan <laughs> home game that I want to go to that weekend, mm-hmm. I'm not going to snowbound. I'll be in I'll be in Michigan. So um <laughs> You gotta, you gotta have some balance in your life. No, that's awesome, and one hundred percent get it. Um, I would definitely throw some other things uh, to to the wayside to do other things. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Um, and that's awesome. No, it is a lot of fun. Uh, I definitely want to go again. I'd like to go to England to see that one or those two, but probably one or the other, just because it it seems as I get to t- as I get to talk to more UK skiers, the the cultural difference is between UK skiers and American skiers. Like, I, I know that sounds like a generalization of some kind of almost stereotypes, but that's not what I mean at all. It, it's just a different way of life and doing it, which is totally fine. I don't know if you have, do you get to run into a lot of UK uh, uh, riders and skiers? Uh, not in the Northeast. Mm. When you go out West, there's a lot more. You know, the, the, the folks I know from the UK, they grew up skiing in France. Totally. And and that's a very different thing from skiing in the states. It's a lot of above tree line. It's it's a lot of skiing village to village. It's a lot more of a cultural element. It's mm. a lot more of a food element to it. It's just a I don't want to say it's a different sport, but it's a very 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 different vibe. I've skied in Europe a couple times, and they like a, a UK skier would typically enter the US skiing. U.S. skiing, having skied Europe first, sure, like the Alps, and so they just have a different set of expectations of what skiing is, mm. for better or worse, and so yeah, I, I, I would say they generally do have that little bit different mindset, and I, I think it comes from where they naturally grow up skiing, which in most cases is going to be France, because that's it's such an easy flight for them. Oh from yeah, the UK. absolutely. I, I just think it's interesting. I mean, that's that's my big thing with traveling anyway, is that social element to learn how do you all do it? How do you all do it? How does this person do it? How does that person do it? The difference between indoor and outdoor skiing and big mountains yeah. and small mountains and backcountry. Like, you know, I, I can't even imagine backcountry. A lot of that's high elevation, and I don't do that because I'm not good. It, it just gets disgusting and ugly. But 
it's it's a whole thing and I just find it interesting and, and again it comes back around to you being a road tripper around the states I mean we have so much of so many different things you can have here between New England ski culture is one thing Rocky Mountain ski culture is one thing uh, PNW ski culture and it's not that we're doing a different sport and I'm not saying one is better than the other absolutely not I wouldn't do that I don't stereotype or nothing and I don't do that gatekeeping thing. You know what? A little side since it just popped into my head and I said this. Um, do you think people talk about are starting to talk about how do we get more people to, to go skiing? And one of the things I say two things. I say one, honestly, in America, nobody really likes to do it. And like we like to do it. But generally speaking, and I don't like to generalize, I hate it, but people don't like to do it and number two i think one of the reasons they don't do it is because of the gatekeeping like you're not really a skier if you're not doing this or you're not really a skier if you're not doing that uh, again this one's just for me kids i'm sorry it just popped into my head what do you think about that yeah i, I mean i think i think a lot of my brand is built on that and, and that's why i'm pretty out front with saying i live in brooklyn mm -hmm. i've never lived in a mountain town i've never worked in the ski industry but, and I'm a tourist everywhere I go. Sure. But I'm a skier. I love skiing. I've skied at more ski areas than probably 99% of skiers. And no one can tell me that I'm not a skier because I don't live in Telluride. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, don't necessarily subscribe to some of the same, like, there's this big uh, kind of fetishization of like this dirtbag lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a I'm a dad with kids and a mortgage and a minivan. Mm -hmm. And I'll own that all day. And I think that by doing that and creating a brand on that and aggressively saying, I'm coming in as a tourist and, and, and this is how I'm going to evaluate the experience, that is a lot more relatable sure. than the person who lives in Aspen. Because there's a lot more of me than there are people who actually live in mountain towns and have that experience. I'm not discarding their experience. It's it 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 is its own valuable thing that that is part of the conversation and part of the narrative. And but there's there's a lot less of folks talking about it from outside of that. Mm. So so that's that's one piece of that. Um, the second piece goes back to what you were saying earlier about Big Snow. And I had Joe Hessian on this podcast on my podcast. Yep in June. It's a long conversation. It's about two hours. But if you want to hear someone who's who's thinking 25 steps ahead of everyone else, it's Joe Hessian. And what they're going to do is replicate Big Snow like it's Taco Bell. And they're going to build one in every city where it makes sense. And Alpine X is doing the same thing. And totally. I believe you've had John Emery on the podcast, right? You know it, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been on mine as well. And between those two, I think a lot of the reason why, if you look at France or Austria, mm -hmm. they're a lot smaller population-wise, but they have a lot more skiers. But those aren't really very good comparisons because if you look at the United States, the second most populous state is Texas, mm -hmm. zero ski areas. The third most populous state is Florida, zero ski areas. Mm -hmm. And if you look at large parts of California, it's harder to get to skiing there as well. There's tens of millions perhaps over 100 million people in the United States who just don't live within driving distance of a ski area. And if that's the case, you're probably not going to grow up skiing. Now, drop a big snow in Miami, 
and Houston and Dallas and Tampa. And suddenly, every single kid growing up in those cities goes there as part of a school trip or an after-school program. Mm -hmm. And they're a skier just as much as you or I who grew up in the Midwest and the Northeast are skiers. And what do skiers do? They look to the horizon and they say, oh, well, this is fun. Like, I kind of want to, like, say you're in Texas. Well, Taos is only, you know, a 10-hour drive or whatever it is. Let me go there. And then you you really get to fall in love with it. So I think there's those two elements. I think think one is, is, not to pat my own back, but just saying (laughs) more ski media by people who are not priding themselves on living in a pickup truck. Mm -hmm. And... And number two is just more people being able to ski as a matter of course. Absolutely. And uh, that's why I fully support the indoor thing. I do know pre-COVID, but before Triple Five um, was uh, having trouble. They, they own the American Dream Mall and the other big malls, Mall of America, the Edmonton Mall, this they one of their projects for American Dream Miami was going to have another indoor thing and again they started having financial troubles just like everybody else did um but they could do it john emery i think he said you know part of his model is to be a feeder get them in the door and then get them to hell back out the door so they can go everywhere else and it's gonna turn it around and it's gonna kill i hope some of that hater gatekeeping stereotype kind of stuff that I fight against constantly. I'm like, dude, like my favorite people are like, oh, you know, skiers, rich, rich man sport. I'm like, dude, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Is it expensive? Yes. Do I know how to get around it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> like there's there's tons of ways and, and let me educate you um, the best that I can. Um, you know, that one of the reasons I went to the Hermitage Club was to dispel rich person stereotype. Yes, it's private. Yes, it costs a lot of money. But if you're anything like me, you would absolutely pay it if you had it because, oh my goodness, is that place awesome. I mean, I love skiing at Haystack anyway, but the, the Hermitage Club part with the, with the spas and the, and the, and the, and the food and the, and the amen. Oh, it's wonderful. Let me tell you something. You practically, you get out of your car and they practically carry you in on a throne. It's wonderful. Um, so yeah, I, I just wanted to get someone else's opinion, someone who's in it even deeper than I am. Like again, I'm a travel skier too. And, you know, I try to talk to everybody, but you you've been doing that even more so because I do other things, too. And you you you're a bit more pinpoint than I am a bit more precision. Like he's the sniper. I'm just carpet bombing everything. That's that's what that is, you know, and, you know, not better or worse. Just we you know, we do it differently. And I, I just wanted to I just wanted because we live in a time where everybody's talking inclusion, inclusivity. And I was just like, here's I here's my take on it. And I wanted yours. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there you go, everybody. Again, another learning experience brought to you by Ski Rex Media because Tim's too damn nosy. All right, man. Well, we're at an hour and 20. What else we got? What else you want to throw out there? Anything? Nothing? You want to drop a few F-bombs here? We can do whatever we want, man. That's the beauty of me. <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm just, you know, I, I broke my leg in February, so I've been out now in three days. Totally. And I'm just excited to be back and really pumped up for a full ski season and you know pumped up to see all these new brands because the you know the great thing about being in you know living in 2022 and the the sort of 
better side of, of all the negativity we talked about earlier with mm-hmm. with the you know some of the bad parts of social media is is that you and i were able to start brands with you know basically zero startup cost totally i mean i see you have a nice mic i have one too but mm-hmm. you know that that sort of thing is is nominal in comparison to what you would have had to have even 15 years ago yep to start a media company and it's just one person who's willing to give their time is able to do it so it's really fun to see brands like yours emerging and and i'm really pumped up i got to be part of it so thank you for the invitation i really appreciate it tim oh thank you dude i've i've been i've been ready for this i was actually i'm still kind of I'm not shy, but hesitant about a lot of things, you know, so I still have people I'm still looking for and trying to get a hold of. And, you know, if, if you ever if you have any leads on Les Auten, pass them my way because I've lost track of all of their people. I don't know if the balsams imploded on those people, but I love Les Auten. I shook his hand when I was 18 or 19. You know, I'd love to talk to him again. He just disappeared. So, you know, yeah, I've been trying to get him on my pod since day one with 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 less success. Mm-hmm. even than that so um i i'm not much help there man but uh <laughs> if i if i figure out a hack i will certainly let you know that's what i like to hear that's right i'm name dropping now i've got Stuart winchester on the pod i've met les Auten. i haven't read chris diamond's books but i've talked to the guy a hundred times because i worked at mount snow at the same time as he did <laughs> granted nice. i was a high school kid in food and beverage and he was up in the offices being a whatever his title was i don't remember that's how long see here's the beauty of the differences between just any media outlet. Anyway, he brought up, Stuart brought up powders fast pass thing, whatever it was called. Not only could he remember what it was called, he rattled off all four mountains. Like he just looked at it without looking at it. He was looking at me. I couldn't have remembered that. I even forgot Killington was part of that nonsense. And I did say it was nonsense (laughs) openly at the same time. I'm like, dude, you're just asking for it. You're just asking for the haters. Like, why would you do that to yourself? I don't know. But anyway, thank you, Stuart, for being on the program. I do appreciate it. I love Storm. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I love Storm's King Journal and Podcast. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, check that out at stormskiing.com. That's right, right? Correct. See? Look at that. All right. So I'm not completely gone. Good. So check out Stuart. You can sign up for the newsletter. He's got all kinds of stuff going on, tons of different resources um that uh, uh, center we didn't even talk about like some of the resources you have on your website that center around the different multi-passes like if you need it laid out for you this man has it done now how did you come up with that real quick before we get out of here oh yeah so i started to notice that there was a lot of season passes that were sort of de facto acting as multi-mountain passes because they had all these reciprocal agreements sure and they weren't really all together in one place. And some of them were really inexpensive. And I felt like people just didn't understand what was out there. You know, Mountain Creek, to go back to an example I use a lot, they don't have any reciprocal deals, but their season pass, this was a couple years ago, was only $199, right, for the blackout version. Sure. And Mountain Creek has a bad reputation because it can get super crowded, but I was like, well... That's true, mm-hmm. and and there is a crazy demographic of skiers there, a lot of novices, and, and the terrain is pretty kind of steep mm-hmm. for, for beginners. But it's a 1,000 vertical feet. It has all high-speed lifts. It's super close to my house, and if I could get there at 8 in the morning when the lift's open, ski my butt off for two and a half, three hours, on a day when I can't spare a whole day to go up to Gore Mountain, mm-hmm. it's perfect because I can be home for lunchtime and hang out with my family who, who aren't 
quite as avid of skiers as I am. Sure. So I was like, well, there's a lot of deals out there like this where you can have a local plus an Icon Pass or plus an Indy Pass. Ragged Mountain, for example, for a long time, they have their Mission Affordable Pass. That was as low as $299 in recent years. Now it's up to $379 early bird. But, but anyway, there were a lot of little passes like this that people I thought weren't thinking of. So I thought, all right, let me just lay them all out. The price, where else you get tickets at that mountain, you know, what, what reciprocal deals they have. And just for my own reference, just so when I, I know what I'm talking about, again, I want to create that global context. Sure. And if I'm only writing about pretty much every past comparison article you'll see, compares Epic and Icon, sometimes they'll throw in Indy once in a while Mountain Collective. But they're not <laughs> intruder here. But but they're but they're not doing it in the context of what the local skier can get. Mm -hmm. Because in a lot of cases I would have, you know, I always have my Mountain Creek pass for my quick hits. Sure. And then I have, you know, a bigger pass for out west trips, New England trips, everything else. So, you know, that looks a little different now that I'm um, using more media passes and stuff, but sure. but I want to help other people set up their winter to ski the most days possible mm -hmm. on the least amount of money possible. Getting back to that thing you said about it not being a rich man's sport, you know, cool. if you if you just plan it a little bit and think ahead a little bit, you can really get a lot of days in and kind of live that ski bum life without having to live in Park City or wherever. Absolutely, and that that's what it really comes down to is getting it done, and Stuart on his website, stormskiing.com, has it all laid out for you. If you live that spreadsheet life, you'll probably appreciate it, and it's wonderful, and, you know, again, you, I, you can't remember it all. Some people may be able to. I can't. I think there's a lot more people like me who can't remember it all, and there it is. Like, I know what's on the Indie-ish, and I know what's on the Freedom Pass-ish because it's part of my whale back. That's mm -hmm. it. Stuart's got it all laid out for you. Stormskiing.com. Sign up over there. Listen. The uh, podcast is available everywhere, pretty much, I'm sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the major services. There you go. But I, I but go to go to stormskiing.com because the article that I create that goes along with the podcast has a ton of extra context and trail maps and master plans. And if you sign up for the email newsletter there, sure. you'll get the podcast as soon as they're live. It takes two or three hours for them to sync with Spotify and iTunes. Totally. But they're on they're on the newsletter right away. Okay. You can listen to them. You can stream them right there on the app. There you go, kids. Makes it nice and easy for you. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Thank you, Stuart. Shout out to your little boy in the background there. I see him waving and stuff. That's Logan. All right. I know nobody's going to see the video of this, but we're, he's waving, so we're <laughs> waving back, and that's awesome. All right, man. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. I All hope right. to see you soon. Again, if you come up to Whaleback or anywhere within spitting distance, let me know. I'll go out. Uh, Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to wait up. Not the greatest, but I try. Like I said, I'm recovering from a broken leg, so I'm I'm slow stew right now. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never been so happy that someone got hurt before in my life. Great, awesome. Thank you, dude. I will check you later, right. and uh, we'll uh, see everybody else out there. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Tim. And there he goes, everybody. Stuart Winchester, Storm Skiing Journal and Podcast. Stuart's pretty cool, man. Uh, I like talking to him. I thought it was awesome that I got to meet him. I've checked out his website and podcast more than once. Awesome guy, knows what he's talking about and has the different angle that, from what I have, though similar in many ways. So that's very cool. 
Again, thank you to Stuart, and go ahead and check out his website, his podcast, stormskiing.com, and that'll get you to the website, the newsletter, the podcast. Like he was saying, if you get the newsletter, you get the podcast much quicker, just right on the money as soon as they come out. So definitely check out Stuart Winchester and stormskiing.com for the Stormskiing pod- Journal and Podcast. Check out all that, then check out Ski Rex Media while you're at it, skirexmedia.com, which may or may not be changing yet again during this season. That'll be coming up shortly, but hey, at least when I'm done with that, the merch shop should be back up and running. How about that? You can get Ski Rex Media merch, right? Awesome. No? Yes? Maybe? I don't know. Skirexmedia.com or Skirex Media across social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even LinkedIn if you're into it. Check out all of those things. Check out the Skirex Media podcast, which you already have. Share it with your friends. Rate it where you can. Apple Podcasts, and there's a couple others that do it. I can't remember offhand. Share it with your friends. Like I said, I know I'm repeating myself. Subscribe or follow. I'm still repeating myself. Subscribe, follow everywhere. Share with your friends. Rate it where you can. All that good stuff. You know the drill. I thank you. Coming next week is another brand new podcast. Be ready for it next Wednesday. If you're listening on Wednesday, if not, it's always on Wednesday. Every Wednesday, 9 a.m. is when it first debuts on all your favorite podcasting apps. Specifically, the Podbean app. Check out Podbean, podbean.com, the Podbean app. That's my host. It's very easy to find the Skirex Media podcast there, but you can find it pretty much anywhere else, including audio-only version on YouTube, which is a whole other thing. Like, maybe you like just seeing a waveform, so you can do that. Or if you just use YouTube, you know, and you can use it in the background, that's fine, too. You can find Skirex Media podcast anywhere. Head to skirexmedia.com for everything else including the podcast, actually, now that I think about it. And I think that's everything. We'll talk to you next week, and we'll see you out there. My day one's coming, I hope. Let's let's all hope, right? Right. See you out there. Thank you, everybody. Later. Later.